Kyle Lowry. See if he's in attack mode here. He is. Driving. Gets it up. Throws it down. Raptors by one. 108 107. Yes, that was the sound of Chris Boucher slamming the game winner against the Dallas Mavericks. It is the greatest comeback in NBA history, well, of the 2010s anyway. But a 30-point comeback is the biggest comeback of any team since 2009. Well, this was a game on display to all British viewers. It was at a nice time, an 8.30 YouTube live game. There was no Luka, there was no star power. But Varel, this was a game for the ages, was it not? The only other time I've ever been this hyped. I don't know if any of our viewers uh, will remember this. This was Euro 2008. Turkey versus Croatia in the quarterfinals. Croatia score in the 190th minute in extra time to make it 1-0. Slavin Bilic run down the touchline. Thinks he's won it all. He does. He's, he's, he's hyped. He's, he's almost as hyped as I was during the game yesterday. But in the 120th minute... Turkey clutch it out get it to the penalty shootout the living room's going crazy and the same thing happened yesterday although admittedly I was watching the match on my own but boy I was hyped I'm sure you feel exactly the same way it was phenomenal and I mean just taking a step back going into this game uh, we of course we finished last episode with a resounding victory over Cleveland and uh, we sort of picked this up with Another two wins uh, against uh, Detroit and Washington, of course. Two difficult wins, two grindy wins in some places, but two solid wins where the Raptors showed they were clearly the better team. But Dallas, of course, is a different prospect altogether. They're a team well over 500, challenging for the upper echelons of the Western Conference. Uh, They just beat Philadelphia on their home floor. Uh, uh, Sorry, the Lakers on their home floor. They beat the Bucks on their home floor. Uh, And then they came to Toronto and they went 30 points up in probably one of the worst, uh, I'll say, second and third quarters the Raptors have played in recent years, maybe since the uh, LeBron Cavs series. But then something happened. I'm not sure what overtook the team, but... But something must have turned it around. Yeah, yeah. Um, So... It was a a bizarre game from start to finish, really. I think uh, in the first quarter, uh, Toronto went up maybe 9-0 and Dallas was scoreless for like four to five minutes. Um, The three-point shooting, uh, not just in those second and third quarters, really throughout the whole game was abysmal. Bar, of course, Kyle Lowry, and we'll uh, get on to him later in the fourth quarter, but... Defensively, both teams looked excellent, I think, just throughout the whole game. Um, Again, somebody who we will discuss in that category is Boucher, but I think what was the telling pivotal moment was when they made that switch to full court press, which which, as soon as I saw it, I just got reminded of Lamella Ball and his high school days because... It's something I haven't personally ever seen at the professional level with a whole quarter remaining. I've seen it with, say, two minutes left on the clock. But this was revolutionary. And I think, um, it. well, you can probably uh, talk about it as well, but it worked extremely, extremely effectively. I think it was the impetus 
the Raptors needed on the defensive end. Yeah, well, of course, there was no Doncic, so the da- Mavericks did lose their primary ball handler. However, they still had the likes of Finney Smith, uh, Brunson, and Delon Wright, Seth Curry, who can all, you know, hold themselves, even against the press. But you're right in terms of there was... It was a lineup which had length and energy and never stopped going at Dallas. You know, it was a lineup, I think uh, Leo Routon said it in the commentary, that just had nothing to lose and just decided to play hard. But I think you're right about yeah. the football press. It was a moment of genius from Nick Nurse, right? In last season, he was called sort of a crazy genius type of manager because he tries such unorthodox things. And, you know, when you're 30 down to the Mavericks and you have... A back, you know, it's the first night of a back-to-back. Where the Raptors play Indiana tonight, you can mm-hmm. get very tempted to just roll out the bench and, you know, give up, give up the game in the third quarter, right? We're thirty points down with two minutes left in the third quarter. That's any other boss, I think, gives that up. But what he did do, as well as the full court press, is ride the hot hand. You will notice that we made that comeback without. We're already missing three starters, of course. But we also benched Ibaka, Ananobi, and Van Vliet. Yeah. The duration of that comeback. Van yeah. Vliet coming at the end. Mm-hmm. And instead, and as Kyle Lowry will uh, elaborate in an interview where we'll play in a bit, it was him, Chris Boucher, Hollis Jefferson, Terence Davis, and interestingly, Malcolm Miller, who didn't score, mm-hmm. but was still plus 29 <laughs> with three steals. Yeah, yeah. Which is quite a unique performance in, in, in that aspect. So he's ride, rode the hot hand. Lowry and Bench, of course, if you remember the middle of the the uh, the uh, twilight years of the Dwayne Casey era, Lowry and Bench was a very popular lineup, which didn't work against a lot of teams. Um, and and the man was possessed. You know, sometimes you you mm. poke the bear. There's a there's a reason that saying exists. Mm. Dallas did that. Raptors had nothing to lose. And Andy just started. But, I mean, as you said, there were a number of other factors as well. Yeah, I'm really glad you pointed that out. Um, so, yes, Van Vliet, um, Ibaka and Ananobi were benched. And I think the reasons behind that were for that system to work, they just needed extremely high intensity and energy and length. And, of course, like somebody like Ananobi... Uh, could have filled that role, but he been tired out with uh, starters minutes uh, earlier on in the game, and so if anyone has indeed played basketball, they know keeping up a full court press, especially I I would imagine the professional level is exhausting, and so it was almost born out of necessity that they had to sit Ibaka throughout that whole period. Um, Van Vliet came in and out of the game but Ibaka sat through that whole period and um, just analysing the tape um, and I watched the video analysis just to try and work out why exactly it worked because of course there is a reason that professional teams do not try this strategy and it is actually quite an easy strategy to break so Toronto essentially played this diamond formation in Dallas's half court so one player stands in front of uh, the inbounder to essentially try and distract and potentially get a dis- uh, deflection, which was Hollis Jefferson's job. And then you had two players marking the two wing players of Dallas. And then it was often the Powell 
who then played in the middle of the court, who would step up to receive the ball. And the defense's job is to essentially get the ball to either, sorry, yes, the, the, the defense's job. So the Raptors, what they wanted to do was to get the inbound into the wing player, because as soon as it hit the wing player, Hollis Jefferson, who's guarding the rebounder, can then trap the wing player on the baseline and it, it becomes very difficult to get the ball um, into the middle of the floor. But what Dallas actually did quite well was they often did get the ball into the middle of the floor. So um, that should break that full court press. It should effectively break it. But time and time again, despite uh, doing so, despite Carlisle coaching them um, out of... So they did make a few mistakes with inbounding it to the sideline at, at, at the first. But then he Carlisle, imagine in the timeout, he directed them to get it into the middle of the floor. But despite that, um, a couple of outstanding plays for Boucher, for example, um, and also poor spacing by the Mavericks because the two... Dallas would often have two players in the Raptors' half and Boucher was tasked with just doing everything. He was, he was guarding both of those players while standing in the middle of the key. And um, this is something I just want to say now as I was yeah. watching that game I believe Boucher had one of the best if not the best defensive performance of any player this season and I know that's quite a bold claim but that's very bold if anyone that. wants to watch that second half and prove uh, prove me wrong and show me otherwise please feel free well that's interesting as well because you know Boucher of course we've talked about him before we've talked about his rise how he needs to take advantage of this season um, it wasn't the most unorth- it wasn't the most orthodox defensive performance. Um, those sort of karate chopping a couple of Seth Curry threes out of the out of the arena. Um, Seth Curry was wide open by any metric. Any other player that that leaving Seth Curry wide open like that that's a splash. That's three points you lose. But I call it the froggy jump block. He, <laughs> he, he, the weirdest, oddest jump ever. Like you said, he swipes down with both hands in a windmill fashion, somehow gets a fingertip to it. Uh, it, it it's unorthodox, but it worked. And all credit to him for that. To be yeah, perfect. phenomenal effort. Phenomenal effort. Um, well, it was not only him, of course. It was uh, Hollis Jefferson. Uh, he dropped 18 in the game. Uh, he was excellent. He also got nine rebounds, a couple of assists, a steal. Um, again, he's just carrying on his great form and that sort of Nick Nurse motivation that we saw so well. Um, I believe he needs which... to play more minutes because um, he, he did show, like you just pointed out, with the rebounding, especially the offensive rebounding. He out-rebounded Paul Zingas once or twice. He looks phenomenal on that. Five end. offensive rebounds, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So just, he definitely needs to get more minutes considering we talked about the Raptors' uh, rebounding troubles this season, so... No, that's a good point. Um, we did g- have already given Malcolm Miller a mensch. Zero points. Okay, 0 for 4, but plus 29 because the box score is very important, right? It's, you know, in baseball, you look at the uh, wins above replacement and uh, in basketball, you've got to look at the box score, not only the field goals made. Yeah. Um, I think before we go on to Terrence Davis, and um, of course, he played excellently in this game and it sort of epitomised his rise this season from an undrafted rookie to a key player in a you know a potentially 
championship winning team. I know I just said that, and I know I would. I've said consistently in the season, I would never say the Raptors would win this year's championship. But all I'm saying is, every single win, it becomes more and more of a slight possibility, a glimmer of light. But before we get into yeah. that, before we get into Terence Davis, let's just take a little listen to Kyle Lowry on his teammates. he was Matt and getting a well-deserved breather Kyle because this is bananas a franchise best comeback you were down by as much as 30 and yet here we are chatting how did you flick the switch in the second half to win this game um Rondé Terrence Davis Chris Boucher Malcolm Miller um came in and gave us unbelievably crazy lift Nick put that press in, we did it against Philly, and we just kept going and going. And congrats to those four guys. That was unbelievable. Well, and all the chatter is always about who's not in the lineup, but everyone on the bench really performing. They almost doubled the Mavs with bench production. Yeah, it was a hell of a win. Uh, like I said, those four guys um, that came in and gave us that boost was great. I'm so happy to be a part of that. Um, I'm so happy to be a part of that. It was unbelievable. It was a great win. And uh, we got to go get another one tomorrow. When did you know, Kyle, that the comeback felt real? Was there a moment? No, right now. Right now. After that last shot went to the right. That was. That's when I realized it was real. Enjoy the win. Good win, Kyle. Back to Matt and Leo. Back to Brad. Sorry. Oh, you got it. History made at Scotiabank Arena, the greatest comeback in Toronto Raptors history. They trailed 85-55, as Matt mentioned, and outscored the Mavericks 55-22 to the rest of the way. And when you look at the numbers now making history, this is one of those games where you hope you have social media if you tuned out. Yes, that was the humble, the leader, the thick boy, Kyle Lowry speaking. And of course, we can't mention the Mavericks game without talking about his phenomenal 32-point, 10-rebound, 11-assist performance. Um, and I just can't get over it because even though it was only eight rebounds I and I just misspoke, it was still one of the performances, I think, of the decade. Can, can we say that? <laughs> bit of a stretch, I'd say. Okay, well, one That's of the kind of stat line. No, no, it, it was a phenomenal performance. A performance, probably his best performance in a Raptors uniform. The way he led that team uh, through the doldrums, but it does really show the sign of a leader to have possibly his best career performance and talk up his teammates uh, after the game. It really speaks volumes of his character. But, um... It's very mature because when he came, of course, when he initially got traded to the Raptors, he was having problems. One of the discipline problems and leadership problems, and I think one of the um, sort of kudos you can give to Dwayne Casey is that he developed Lowry into this sort of selfless leader, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. That's the role he's taken. And just in that game, um, he made all manner of extremely difficult three point shots. Um, mainly off the pick and roll but he he shot two from like several feet behind the line and um really that's that's the kind of uh impact that they were looking for they were looking for volume three pointers to really get back into that game and yeah he showed great heart great tenacity and really he embodied 
the grittiness of the team throughout that game. Yeah, and I think um, you mentioned about the difficult three-pointers as well. And I think when you're coming back, when you're sort of trying to gain momentum, mentally it's so important. Because one of the reasons Curry is so good is because whenever he crosses half court, you're terrified of him. Because you have you, mm. the ball could go in from anywhere. It could just pull out from anywhere. And that sort of mentally puts in a fear into the opposition, then translates into, you know, benefit for whichever team that Stephen Curry happens to play for at the time. Then you've got Kyle Lowry doing it in this game. And so you see that draws more people to Lowry. That opens up a Boucher yeah. that opens up uh, Terence Davis, you know, Absolutely. and even mentally, of course, that that will affect the um, the the Dallas defense. And um, you know, he he also did it on the defensive end. I mean, one charge he took from Kleber was just was just good, experienced basketball. And it's something that I mean, a lot of players, a lot of people were saying maybe don't extend him, maybe let him go at the end of this season. But it shows why his extension is so important because that kind of player playing with the youngsters. You can't replicate that. You can't replicate that with talent. Sometimes experience is all you need. Yeah, and um, so you made an excellent point about his three-point threat there. And with the lineup that they were playing, with the lengthy, I would say, aside from Terence Davies, who we're shortly going to uh, mention and go into a special segment about. Finally. Um, the rest of the players around him uh, weren't exactly threats from the three-point line. And so um, that spacing really benefited them. For example, there was one, um, Hollis Jefferson inbounded the ball. Um, he got a back screen and he made the cut towards the basket. Um, Dallas left him wide open. He had a layup. Those are the kind of plays which may have not been possible without Lowry's offense because that Dallas defense was swarming. It 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 wasn't just because of Toronto's lack of say effort in the first half on the offensive end. Like they do, they have shown against these top teams that they do have a multitude of players who can switch onto many positions, and they're a very well coached team. So um, yeah, that's just to really wrap things up on uh, the Mavericks game. And now I think we'll probably go into our sweet little segment about uh, Terence Davis and I'll allow you to introduce it, Camille. Of course, thank you for the timing as well. Just as I um, take something to eat, I can I can introduce it. Um, <laughs> Terence Davis, while not looking... Well, if that's the case, I don't mind introducing it. It's fine, I'm done now, okay? <laughs> Terence Davis. We now, keep a professional on this podcast. Now, he doesn't look like the best player on the box score. 6.4 points a game, 1.9 assists and a couple of rebounds doesn't exactly inspire or doesn't exactly shout unearthed gem to you. Mm-hmm. But when you see where Terence Davis came from, when you saw his belief in himself after four years at Ole Lemis, Ole Mis, um, however you pronounce these American <laughs> Are you serious? Ole Mis. <laughs> it's Ole Miss, mate. Ole Miss. Ole Miss. It's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not a Latino team. It's not Ole Miss. So it's Ole Miss. Sorry, I, was, I was saying it like no Notre Dame, Notre Dame. You know, like you know. Oh, I see. What, yeah, yeah. It does look French. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it does look a bit French. Anyway, that hopefully that doesn't spoil the poignancy. But if we read Blake Murphy's account of draft night, there was a twist and turns that Terence Davis had waited for for years. He felt he was an NBA player 
And if the NBA wasn't going to let him in through the draft, he was just going to have to find another way. Davis, his agent called and said teams were willing to sign him in the second round, but only if he was willing to himself to sign a two-way contract. But he hadn't fought this way to this point to accept just a half measure. But there was one team that took a chance on Terrence on a full, full-time contract. It was, of course, the Toronto Raptors, and they have been richly rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. Varel, Terrence Davis, what are some of the raw qualities do you think maybe the likes of Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse saw when they were looking to draft him? Uh, that's um, in this particular example. That's a very loaded question. Um, because there are several different ways to analyze it um, without waffling or being ambiguous. I'll go straight into it. So with Terence Davis, one example I'll give you. If you look at his shooting during college, so he shot 33% from behind the three-point line. So as a, as a draft analyst, uh, you, you're looking just purely at that statistic and thinking, oh, inconsistent three-point shooter. What you don't see with somebody like Terence Davis, and indeed this has been the case with lots of other players who have been overlooked um, as juniors and seniors in college, um, and who have had like dramatic upward trajectories after entering the league. I can give you an example with Jimmy Butler. You want to see progression with players. With Terence Davis, for example, with that statistic, he actually shot 37% from three in his senior season. So you did see a steady and noticeable improvement throughout his college career. Of course, his points per game, they stayed the same from the second uh, through to his fourth year. But in all facets of his play, there was steady improvement. And this is, of course, a player who came from a football background. Um, if maybe this that's something you want to go into, Kamel. Uh, yeah, of course, Terence Davis was an excellent player in high school and um, he had to choose between the two. He was, in middle school, he was in fact the talk of the town for dual sport performances. And I think it was his father that just inspired him just to pick one. And he had to pick one that, you know, he was going to make it. Football, of course, you know, in football, he was a six foot four wide receiver, right? He put up great numbers, he had a vertical threat and he was, of course, fast as hell, right? Well, at the time he wasn't six foot four, just to, to bear in mind, of course, he did. <laughs> he wasn't six foot four. I think that would have been at age 16, was it? Oh, yeah, sorry. In high, yeah, in high school, he was a. Um, in high school, he was six foot four, yes. He was still on the taller side. He was definitely still on the taller side yeah, for yeah. Uh, wide receivers. Yeah, um, you know, he was a great. Um, he was a great wide receiver. Some of the players defending him were Division One bound defensive players. He was almost drawing double coverage from them, according to some of his old coaches. Um, yeah, I, have, I did also watch some tapes. Um, I, I, I haven't watched much tape of, say, high school football, but he, he looked pretty good. <laughs> I can say that. He was good. Um, and it was something, of course, that came naturally to him. Basketball was something yeah. he did have to work out. He did have to work out. You know, according to this account, he'd start showing at 6am to get additional shooting work on the basketball court he would play sometimes both sports on one day Um, but he never really committed to basketball right he'd sometimes step into a basketball game after not playing for two or three months at a time and still drop 20 
right? He wasn't even practicing. He was playing football. And then he just step on the court and drop 20 in, uh, in high school and middle school. Yeah. So he decided to focus on that. And so he got a basketball scholarship, scholarship at Ole Mis, as I like to say. And, and he just took it from there. But I think once one, one, one important thing that is we both alluded to, and of course with the football background, is the pure athleticism. Yeah. There. And I think if you're looking at raw qualities, that's something that you notice in anyone. That's something that you notice in Zion. Um, you know, you can probably name some other rookies where, you know, the athleticism, what they got going for them. Yeah, Yarmorant as well this season. Yeah, Yarmorant. Of course, when, you know, someone like Giannis was, was coming onto the scene, someone like him, of course. Um, but as you said, the technical side of his game was improving. There was never a ceiling. We don't know Terence Davis's ceiling yet, right? He had quite a low floor. Yeah. That's often the thing with athletic players. Everyone have a lower floor, yeah. but yeah. a higher ceiling. Because, you know, yeah. just that's just... Uh, logistics that's that's how it works out yeah not everyone uh, manages to, to get that skill set so yeah yeah and so you know four years at Ole Miz as you already talked about the improvement and of course not getting drafted on draft night um, but in fact it was one game in summer league with the Denver Nuggets in fact that prompted Masai Ujiri to pick up the phone and I guess the rest is history Yes, and uh, to provide some more clarification, because this story has actually, well, his backstory has been reported on um, incessantly in the past like week to two weeks as he has been performing for the Raptors. Because as part of, I believe it is um, not Lowry's Van Vliet's uh, promotional campaign at the moment. So uh, as part of his campaign. The main takeaway message is to bet on yourself. And so, this was part of Terence Davis's tra- uh, strategy. And indeed, he was actually inspired by looking at Van Vliet's promotion. Because on that fateful draft night, as Kamel uh, mentioned earlier, he did have teams looking to uh, draft him in the second round because he had impressed at the uh, seniors camp uh, coming out of college. And so he made the decision, which I believe, this is the first time I've actually seen this decision uh, being made. I believe it's uh, it's not happened before. He, rather than go in the second round on a quite a low salary and limited a uh, playing time for the NBA and, team, because it would be on a- Contract, of course. On a two- two-way contract, yes, which, which would mean for the majority of his time he would be spending with the G team affiliate. Uh, rather than go that route, he decided he would go undrafted, and he believed that during the summer league he would be picked up by a team, and that he would um, show enough potential in those summer league games for a team to draft him on a legitimate or I don't know what the word is, but a proper NBA contract. And so that's what he did. He, as Kamel said, he played for the Denver Nuggets in the G League, uh, in the Summer League. I believe he had like a 22 point something rebound, three assist performance. And as a result of that, um, the Raptors uh, signed him on the one year contract. So that's yeah. his story. And, um, you know, when he was originally signed, because he's sort of a unique kind of shooting guard, right? He's not a Clay, he's not a uh, Seth, 
No. You know, he's not a spot-up shooter who stands in the corner. He's someone who's uh, he's almost he almost replicates Norman Powell, and uh, he's talked about. Uh, we mentioned Van Vliet, of course, in his story. Yeah, yeah. He also talks about Norman Powell as sort of an older brother type character because they are very similar shooting guards in terms of they're physical, they're athletic, they love to get to the rim, yeah. and they're explosive. You know, they get the crowd hyped. Um, but what's unique about Terrence Davis is that his length and I think he's he's a better athlete than Norm, which is quite difficult in itself. But it allows him to play such excellent defense that. Regardless yeah. of how his shooting night will go, he can earn his spot on any court. Yeah, and um, to provide some further clarification there, so, I, well, I have two points to make, which is that now, so talking about seniors coming out of college, they are a class of recruit who have been consistently overlooked by NBA teams. And the Raptors are the team, it seems, with Van Vliet, with Norman Powell, and now with Terrence Davis. So they have um, taken undrafted seniors and... Um, Matt Thomas too. Matt Thomas as well, yeah, of course. And um, they've worked them into their rotation. So maybe the Raptors have figured out a formula there. They're, they're finding potential where others are not. So that's it's very almost like It's a bit like Arsene Wenger in the, uh, in the early noughties, sort of tapping up the young, young League Two French, yeah, French yeah. Players, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess the analogy um, is not exactly the same, but it's the same <laughs> kind of idea. It's the same kind of idea. Um, yeah, you can you can sort of see a lot of teams, at least maybe in the next season, going for these undrafted players now because Van Vliet and Terence Davis are. Well, Van Vliet's a you know an NBA champion and a potential Finals MVP, and of course Terence Davis is. Just growing, going by the game. So I don't see yeah. why teams wouldn't start to take a punt. And, and it's not just undrafted players; it's seniors specifically. Uh, the, the seniors are the ones who are going undrafted. And uh, another example in the league at the moment is Buddy Hield. Um, uh, he's actually the same age as Bradley Beal, which blows my mind because, of course, Bradley Beal came in after his first year in college, um, and. It's not, it's not a terrible thing that these seniors are unpolished as players because, again, 22 years old, it's still, it's a, still a young age for an athlete. There's still a lot of room uh, for development and, and for growth. And uh, on that note, so with Terence Davis, um, what really stands out to me is he just does all the little things right. Um, the reason he is a very good rebounder is not purely because of his athleticism, but he's just... he's he's extremely aware of who he needs to box out on the defensive end it's not just his hustle and athleticism his defensive rotations are excellent um, which is something we see of so many players even good defensive players in college when they come into the league like they're lacking when it comes to team defense and he doesn't have that weakness Um, this is a guy who worked on his three point shot over the off season and now is shooting I believe over 40% from three um and, and and shooting 95% from the charity stripe, of course. Yeah, well, he hasn't um, gone to the charity stripe often or the free throw line often, but he, th- this is not a surprise to me because he said, I think in an interview, that um, he watches tape religiously. And in particular, um, he's a big fan of Kobe Bryant's series. So, um, it, again, this his work ethic is, is, I think, the reason why... He has been successful, and why I think he will continue to be successful. 
And that's a fantastic note to end on. Because when Terence Davis, six months ago, went undrafted, or in fact, uh, yeah, six months ago when Terence Davis went undrafted, he would never have thought he would be playing in one of the biggest comebacks in NBA history. But here he is delivering on the court for the NBA champions. And let's end with a quote from Mr. Davis himself. I had a saying that if I don't go through the front door, I'll go through the back. There's some side doors too. So I think I just went through the back door. It's been amazing. I'm just excited I get to work with the champs. Varah, thanks for appearing on the podcast. I'm tearing up again. That was too poetic. Let's. I think we should end before we, before we start crying because last time was a bit of a problem. <laughs> All right, see you later, people. See you next week.